Well, good morning. Well, you're actually, you're not quite as awake as the first service, so I might try it again. Good morning. All right. Okay. I wanted to make sure we caught you when you're awake. Well, happy Father's Day for those that are fathers and those that had fathers. <laughs> That's everybody. I know. You're all thinking, what was that? I hope you have the notes. Um, they were prepared and they're available. If you haven't got them, I, I'm sure they're in the back. We're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians, um, called out divisions in the church. And uh, today I've titled the message, Building to Pass the Test. See, there's not too many people that I know about that really enjoy tests. There are a few, but they're weird. Um, and according to our text today, there will be a building inspection that each of us must attend and go through. And I guess you would say that everybody understands that how you build, with what you build, and where you build has everything to do with the value or the durability of what's built. Jesus tells us that the foundation of a house is everything. That those that build their lives and their structures on the sand, when the storms come, the rains and the winds arrive, that house will fall. But it says those who build on the rock, and he means himself, no matter the same storm hits, that building stands. Well, today, it's no different. In fact, with our 1,000-foot-plus skyscrapers that are across the globe, foundations have become even more critical. Did you know that I think it's the Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur? Have you ever seen the, the structure that has the two towers, the two spires with a bridge across the middle that nobody wants to walk across because it's 40 stories in the air? That building, well over 1,000 feet, is built on some of the poorest soil on the planet. But it, I have found that it has one of the largest and the deepest foundation on planet Earth. It's over 400 feet deep of solid concrete and steel that you don't see below the surface, so it reached bedrock. The only reason those buildings stand is because they were built on the rock. Well, Paul tells us that all of us believers are to build on this foundation, the rock of Christ. And one of the reasons that we're to build is not just for the fun of building. He says that all of us are going to have a building exam. Now, I know a lot of us would love to dodge that, but it's going to happen. So, according to Scripture, it's God's desire that we pass. And why does God want us to pass? Because he wants to reward us. He's not, this isn't a sneak exam. In fact, Paul in this passage goes to tell us how to pass the test. It's almost like you got the cheat sheet before the exam happens. So there's no reason for any of us to do poorly on this exam. God wants us to do well. So let's take our Bibles and look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. 
of 1 Corinthians. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you let us look at this passage afresh today and help us not to dread the upcoming test, but to look forward to it as a day where you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, would you allow us each to see how we are building, that we are to build, that whether we recognize it or not, we're building something, and it either will be burned up or it will endure. Help us to put what you have given to us through the Apostle Paul to work in our lives that we would be active, vibrant, not only members but builders, of your church. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at our passage, we see that Paul now has shifted, as he often does, from a agricultural metaphor to an architectural one. See, in verses six to eight, he's been talking, and that's what Larry spoke about last week, about those who plant, like himself, and those who water, like Paul, Apollos. But he says the only one, and we all got to get this straight from the top, the only one that gives life and growth is who? It's God. Anybody can plant all day. Anybody can water all day. If God doesn't make it grow, you get nothing. So here's what we're about. Paul's now going to say in verse 9 of the passage we read last week, he says, you are God's field. Well, that's the field where the planting and the watering and the growing is taking place. But he says then with this verse, at the statement at the end, you are God's building. I don't know if anybody thought of themselves as a building, but we are. Now, we want to understand that. And this morning, what we're going to understand is not only what does Paul mean by saying you are God's building, but Paul gives us three really, um, what I'll say, realities that should impact our lives and how we live it. And so those are one. Everyone in Christ is both not only a part of the building, but they have a part to play in the building of the building. You tracking that? Second, Jesus Christ is the one and only foundation of the church. There's only one. Third, the internal, eternal importance of building with quality and care. It matters how we build. So let's jump in. What does Paul mean by you are God's building? 
I think first, as he goes in this architectural language, he's going to be saying, trying to tell us through verses 10 to 15, well, what is being built? What's our role in the building of the building was being built? And what is that? Is he talking figuratively? We're building all got hammers in our hands when we show up to church? What are we building? No. Well, I think Paul starts to give indications of this through Scripture, like in Acts, when he was in Athens, he said this in Acts 17. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples or buildings made with hands. So God's not trying to talk about this structure that we sit in. That's not it. We're not talking about who paints the walls. But then Paul gets more clarity in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And he says this, So then you, the people of the church, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Starting to get the picture. What he's talking about building here sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Well, and finally the Apostle Peter caps this off in 1 Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up into the spiritual house. So clearly Paul is not talking about building something physical. He's talking about the church. And the church, by the way, is not this building. And in fact, one of the things I've heard said, and I loved it, where it says Valley Bible Church on our building outside, it should actually be followed by two words, meets here. You are the church, not this structure. We could meet in a tent We could meet outside. We could meet in somebody's house. We are the church. This building is not it. And the world looks at this building and thinks, well, there's the church. They're wrong. We are the church. And we're to build the church. And not only are we part of the church, we're stones in the church, but we're to be building the church further. Now, it's interesting to me, a lot of us have become content being a stone you just all you've done is you became a Christian mortar me in I'm done I'm a stone in the building well that's true you are part of the building but you have to be able to move to be able to build more and to build on the structure and that's what Paul's going into here and so what we want to do here is Jesus Christ told us he says I am going to build my church and guess who he uses to do it Us. Us. He doesn't send angels to come do this. We are the builders of the church. And our job, according to this passage, has part of it's already been done. And we'll just study that in a minute. So everyone in Christ is both a part of the building and have a part to play. Um, all of us have been tasked as builders, even if you don't feel handy. You're all tasked to be builders of God's church. And you're fellow workers of God. That's what we read last week in in verse 9 of Larry's passage. It says, we're fellow workers with God. You and I are working together on his crew 
to build the church. Now, each one has his role. In fact, we hear from Paul that his role was master builder. Now, he's not bragging. He's not trying to say, I'm a master builder and you're a wimpy builder. That's not his point. The master builder comes really from a Greek term that we get architect, but it actually really means he's the general foreman. He's the one that ensures that the building is all done according to God's standards and God's designs. And what's really interesting about this is he says that I want to be the foundation layer. I'm the guy that pours the concrete foundation. And that concrete foundation was Christ. He preached the gospel wherever he went. That's what he did. He preached the gospel. He wasn't really as concerned about the finalization of the building of the church. He planted the church. He planted churches in places that no one had ever been. In fact, he modeled the Star Trek slogan, to go where no man has gone before. He said so himself in Romans chapter 15. He said this, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He loved going where no one else had gone. And his specialty, by God, was foundation laying. Now it's interesting, one might say, well Paul, that's still pretty arrogant to call yourself a master foundation layer, how did he get this job? Well, we have to understand, how did Paul get the job he had to plant the church in Corinth? Well, let's go back, let's take a step back. To take a step back, you'd say, God in eternity past knows he's gonna build a church in Corinth in the first century. So what he does is he looks around and he says, I need to find a real vibrant Christian, a real person who just has walked with my son for years and saw everything he did. And I wanna pick that guy because he loves me so much for years. Nope, that's not what God did. According to Acts chapter nine, verse one, it says this, now Saul, still breathing, which is good, but breathing threats, that's not good, and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul woke up every day anxious to squash this thing called the church of Jesus Christ. That's how he lived. He was excited to put people in prison and to kill them. This was his life. God looks down and says, ooh, I, I kinda like that guy. No, here's what happens. Paul, getting letters from the chief priest to go to Damascus, he probably woke up early that morning, oh, I got letters, I'm on my way, I get to lock up some more, I'll bet I'm this close to stamping this thing out. But he does something. He meets the head of the church on that Damascus road. He didn't really expect to meet the head of the church, in fact, that's a problem for him, because he didn't think there was a head of the, of the church. And this head of the church uh, tells him something. He says, you will be my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings and the sons of Israel. And then he's, he's been blinded in this experience. He's taken to the home of Ananias. Ananias says, I don't really like this guy. He's here to kill me, but God, Saul, the head of the church told me to come and pray for you so you can get your sight back. Saul gets his sight back. Immediately he's baptized. He eats a meal and he hits the road preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 18. We read this as he sits in Corinth. He says, And the Lord said to Paul, his name's now changed, 
Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city of Corinth. Now, tell me, if you would, what would cause a man who hated Christ, hated Christians, hated the church, to now become a man who loves Christ, who loves Christian, and who builds churches from the Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 18. Could you describe that in one word for me? Grace. Paul says the same thing in verse 10. How is he on this mission? Because I'm qualified as a foundation layer. No. What does he say? According to the grace of God that has been given to me. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said it again. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. Can you see he didn't even choose to be a builder? This is the same with all of us. Did you know that? Well, God interrupted our path at a point in time and provided his grace and intercepted us as God-haters and changed us all over here to God-lovers. How did that happen? Grace. You were all attached, so you've been given a job too, just like Paul. Now, it's interesting Paul knew that God had given him this job, but his next concern was not that he wouldn't do his job carefully, but as he laid the foundation, he's saying, well, who's gonna do the same quality of job in building on it? What does he say? Each man must be careful how he builds on it. This is a precious foundation that we've got in Jesus Christ. This is one of a kind. This is infinitely valuable. So how we build on it matters. And so what he's telling us now is we have to be faithful to be careful. No Christian has the right to be careless how he builds in his life. And you know we build every single day whether you know it or not, you're building something into someone. Maybe your kids, your coworkers, your friends, your family, your spouse, How you live is telling them what's valuable. How you live is putting your behaviors on display. What does it say? It says what? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You become like those you hang with. And they become like you. And Paul's saying, you better be careful how you live life. This is, did you know that the works that he's talking about, the gold, silver, precious stone, they're not just stuff you do in this building. They're your life. It says, every man must give an account. What does it say? We have to go there. It says, basically, every man has to give an account for how he lives. We won't go there. The point is clear. We're not just evaluating the works that happen in this room. Your lives are on display, and no one has the right to be careless with a life purchased by Christ. No one. Paul's saying you gotta be careful with your life. Well, two, let's just move quick. Two, the foundation of the church. I love this. According to God's word, there is only one and will ever only be one foundation of the church, of the true church, and that's Jesus Christ, period. I hope no one's doubtful about this. There is no other foundation which you can build a church. You can't build a church on ethical values that you share. You can't build a church on the Ten Commandments. 
You can't build a church on uh, political views. You can't build it on a man. The only thing you can build a church on is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. Now the problem here is many of us have tried in our society and in our world over the centuries to build something that's called a church that is not founded on Jesus Christ. Um, The hymn writer, S.J. Stone, wrote a hymn that I love. And we don't sing it much. I bet uh, most of you probably have almost never sung it. It's called The Church's One Foundation. Is Jesus Christ her Lord? She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. That's our Jesus. That's the foundation of the church. And you might think, well, Tim, I get it. Go on. Well, I don't know if you do. You know, I don't want to pick on anybody, but there are churches in our world around here, probably within five miles of here, that say, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Of course, they have Jesus in the name, so it must be good. Really? No. I don't, I'm not trying to pick on them, but I just want to point out they're using a different foundation. Their foundation... I don't care if Joseph Smith received golden tablets on the mountain from Moroni, uh, Moron, whatever, but he, he's using a gospel that says there was a time when Jesus was not. Mormon teaching is that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, but he was created. Anything that says that Jesus is not co-equal with God, co-eternal with God, co-powerful with God from the eternal past is not the same Jesus of the New Testament. We cannot say that that's the same foundation. It is not. That house will fall. Now, our job is not to run out and condemn them. Our job is to love them in Jesus' name, point them to the true foundation. Any, Any church... That's a, maybe a cult of personality. There are some churches that have been founded on personalities. Do you know that? They don't really preach this Bible. They preach what they kind of think is good. I mean, I don't know when Glide Memorial Church headed south, but it no longer preaches this. Jesus Christ is no longer the foundation What we have to say now is we need to be careful how we build. Now, when Paul laid the foundation, you gotta know he didn't think his job was done. Well, there's the foundation. Adios. Enjoy your building. Everybody knows that a building needs floors, walls, windows, doors, ceiling. And guess whose job it is to put those in? Ours. And all of us are the building stones and the materials that we use to build on this precious foundation of Christ and we're building the church. So do you know what? If the church is not what you think it should be, even here at Valley Bible Church, whose job is it to keep building? It's ours. 
It's not just the pastors. It's not just the leadership. Every person is to be a builder on God's team to build this church up. In fact, I would guess that if this church is not all it should be, it's because all of us are doing all we should. Not one person will build this church. So Paul was very clear to say he laid the foundation, but he was not it. Any pastor that says he is in charge of his church or he grows his church, he will be why the church meets is in danger. I know our pastor before, Philip, was always very much concerned that no one would ever think that this is a cult of personality, that he followed Christ, and anybody that was following him knew that he was following Christ. He, he, he didn't care if he came and went as long as we honored Christ. We have to be a church that is independent of what men think or what men value. It has to be on Christ and him alone. Well, the eternal importance of building with quality and care. See, the next question that Paul raises is, so what are you building with? You know, a lot of us say, well, I'm not building anything. Oh, yeah, you are. That's like saying I'm not having an influence in anybody's life right now. Try not to have an influence. You can't do it. Everybody is an example for something, even if it's a bad example. You will have an impact on people's lives, and you're building something, whether you know it, for saint. You need to be careful what you choose to build with. And so we're going to talk in what Paul's talking about in verses 12 to 15. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, the work will become evident, for the day will show it. It'll be tested by fire. See, I have to say, we have to understand what these building materials are and what they apply in just kind of daily life. Not all of us are really into construction, so this may not relate much to you. But you have to say, we're all putting something into one another's lives. And it's either going to be something of eternal value or something that has no eternal value. Gold, silver, and precious stones, they're both enduring and they're valuable. They're precious. Now, precious stones to some, I have to say, as I studied this, there are some scholars that think, well, it's not really rubies, diamonds, topaz, sapphire. That's what I think of when I think of precious stones. But there's one uh, scholar that believes that, well, no, not many people build houses out of those things. What they're talking about is the preciousness of the costly stones they had to quarry out, whether it was granite or marble. And when you build a temple like Solomon's temple, each stone was costly. Took a long time to develop, much cost, much sweat, much care. And he says, what we're doing can be like those stones that are built on foundation of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about who's running around with diamonds in their pockets. The point is, I don't care which one you pick. Pick the one you like the best. Build with diamonds. Go for it. I mean, we, know, we do know that the city of God, the, the, each gate is going to be a single pearl. <laughs> you know, wh that's wonderful. But right now, we build with precious stones. Well, what are, what are the characteristics that's most important? It will not pass 
the test of fire or at will. Those things, gold, silver, and precious stones, are not consumed in the fire. They will last. They will drive a reward. But if we build with wood, hay, and straw, highly flammable. That's what most settlers built with in America, wasn't it? Wood structures, thatched roofs. But he's saying if you do that on Christ's foundation, it will burn up. We can put the things that look good to man, seem functional to us, but have no eternal value. Are you building the word of God into people? Are you building the wisdom of God into your problems and solutions? I hear so many people give marriage advice in the world, it makes me sick. What the world considers good marriage advice is garbage. This is where you find what God says about a relationship. This is where you find what God says we should do as believers. This is where you find how I should treat my fellow man. This is how it says I should love one another, carry his burdens, be kind, be gracious, be gentle. This is the book. If we don't put this in one another's life, we're putting wood, hay, and stubble. Have you ever, I mean, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Todd was talking about You know, I have the mind of Christ, but what I think is this. You remember him saying that? I just about passed out. Anyway, you're right. We can say, I have a Bible. I just read what this says. Yeah, I read that, but what I think is really true is this. Wait a minute. You've got God's word, the mind of Christ, and I'm going to trust me. Don't. Don't trust me if I do that. If you can't find what I'm saying in here, then don't listen to it, okay? So what happens now is he's telling us that we need to be building in one another's lives, but the problem is there's one other thing. God's not talking about this test of fire as a judgment of our sin. There will be a judgment of sin. Mark my words. There will be a white throne judgment. And all who do not have Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will stand at that judgment seat. And all of their evil deeds from beginning to end will be laid out every word, every thought, every action to determine the sentence. And it's not going to be good because all will be going to hell. But this judgment is not that one. This is called the Bema Seat, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment, the Bema Seat of Christ. This is like the tribunal seat, so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for the things done, whether good or bad. And bad does not mean evil. Bad just means unprofitable, worthless. Do you know that we do a lot of worthless stuff? I do. There's a lot of conversations that I've had with my neighbor that have no earthly or eternal value to them. Now, if I'm having a, don't get me wrong here, I might need to set up a friendship with my neighbor. I might need to take him a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and just have a general conversation because I'm trying to build a bridge so that I can walk across it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not hay, wood, and stubble. If my intention is to honor Christ by how I'm going to approach this conversation. But that's not how we approach many of our conversations, is it? That's not how we approach many of the things we do. Do you know that mowing the lawn is not evil? 
getting a haircut, I don't think that's, well, if it's a bad haircut, but if getting a haircut is not evil, but will it have an eternal benefit or a reward in heaven? Tim mowed his lawn. Unless I'm mowing my neighbor's lawn for the glory of God, I don't think it matters. Now, if I want to be a good husband and a responsible person, I say, Lord, I'm going to do everything around this house so I'm a testimony for Christ. Then it might matter. See, that's the first thing I want to say. Number one, what is God going to be judging? What's God be evaluating? Well, he's not going to be judging the quantity of our work. He's saying he's judging the quality of our work. Did you know that God already knows how much work you're supposed to do? Anybody read Ephesians 2.10? There's a list of works that God's already identified that he wants you to do. Yeah, prepared before the foundations of the world. So he already knows how much work you should do. The question is, that's still outstanding. How will you do it? How will you approach that work? And the first thing I want to say, the first attribute is motive. You know, a lot of people have done a lot of things in church over the years that they're probably not going to get credit for in eternity because their motive stunk. Let me just say this. I'm not going to be examined by how many sermons I preach. I'm not going to be evaluated by how many homes I visited or how many good words I said. What he's going to say is, why did I preach? What were you relying on when you preached? Were you preaching to glorify me? Were you doing it just to get it out of the way? Did you do it because no one else was available that week? See, why is almost more important than what? And it can negate a really good what. Did you know that you could put $10,000 in this offering plate today? And we would love it. God may not give you eternal reward for it, but we'll love it. But if you put it in there like this, your reward just went up with it and smoke right there. Why? Because it wasn't done out of a heart of love and obedience and joy. It was under compulsion, under guilt, under reluctance. When you saw the plate go by, I sure wish I could have put this in my boat, but okay, I'll put it in the offering plate. God knows what you're thinking when you put that money in the plate. He knows what you're thinking when you gave that rose to your wife. That I'm just trying to get out of the doghouse. It wasn't, oh, I love you, dear, and you're so valuable to me, and you're precious. I just wanted to communicate that through something tangible. Uh huh. She can see right through that. Philip used to say that all the time. He says, You come home from work with flowers, you go, Here. Here? Yeah. What's this for? Well, it's Mother's Day. Don't you get flowers? Wow, my heart is so warmed. Please do that every year. No, that's not going to get any credit. God's no different. He knows your heart, He knows why you sing in the choir. Are you singing just so that someone will say, oh, you have a lovely voice? Are you singing to glorify and honor him? Do you teach Sunday school because no one else will? Do you teach a class at night because the pastor loopholed me in the lobby and I 
guess I will. See, our motives have everything to do with whether this is gold or silver or precious stone or it's hay, wood, or stubble. You can make your deeds gold-like, silver-like, or you can make them hay-like or straw-like. See, we don't want to get to heaven and know that I did the right thing, but I had the wrong motive. Well, the second attribute is our conduct. It matters what we do. Did you know I could have the best attitude in the world? I, I, I could really have a positive, just encouraging attitude. I'm doing it all for what I think is the right reason. But I, I could probably save the whales or collect butterflies or play professional baseball or clean up beaches of litter and of plastic bottles. And it may not have any impact on eternity. Matters why I did those things, for sure. Is Christ in these things? Am I doing it to demonstrate Christ and my love for him and others? Or am I just collecting trash because this world's a desperate place and we need to make sure that the trash is collected? Well, you know, God's never going to be impressed with my two tons of litters that I collected off the beach. He's not going to go up there and say, oh, Tim, well done, two tons. Wow. That's not part of the plan. Or he's not going to say to uh, Aaron Judge last year, wow, 63 home runs, an extra star. Why he does it, what he does, does there any eternity in this? Is there any Christ in this? If there's no Christ in this, there's no reward in this. If there's no Bible in this, there's no reward in this. But I don't want people to be mystified here. We don't have to get mystic and go, ooh, I wonder if this is gold-like or silver. You don't have to question yourself all day. If what you're doing is motivated out of a heart of obedience and love to Christ and consistent with his word, God says there'll be a reward. It's very simple. If you're doing what he said you're supposed to do, and you're doing it for the reasons of loving Christ and his word and his people, there will be a reward. Even down to the point of a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus said, didn't it? He didn't say you have to give 10,000 bucks. He said, a cup of cold water. I'll tell you what, if you do it for the right reason, even that will get you a reward in heaven. So does some, I hope all of us have at least one waiting for us at this seat. But the third thing is not only what we do has an impact. It's our service. We were all given a spiritual gift to serve this church and to serve the church of God. It wasn't for ourselves. These spiritual gifts that God gave us were not so we could feel better or we could be impressive Christians. This is to build up the body of Christ. So if you're not using the body of, your gift in the body of Christ, then there's no reward. Are you serving? That's number one, and when you do serve, make sure you serve for the right reason. Because I don't want you doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. We don't want that. Well, John Calvin wrote these words. True servants of God are not always easily distinguished from faults. Because good and bad points are covered over by the cloak of night. Ambition is blind. The favor of men is blind. The applause of men is blind. But God will dispel the darkness. Those who depend on men's estimation so that they are satisfied, if men pass them as acceptable, they are foolish. 
because the work will receive praise and reward only after it has withstood the day of the Lord. Let no one flatter himself because in man's opinion he's rated among the eminent or the best master builders. For as soon as the day dawns, all his work must be completely ruined if it is not approved by the Lord. We must be living our lives according to Galatians 1.10 to please God, not men. He says, if I, if I begin to please men, I have ceased to please God. Well, I think all of us want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's a day coming. There is a day coming where that will either be said or it won't be said. And that day coming, I think it's important because did you know that that day is closer today than it was yesterday? Did you know that day could actually be today? And I will, let me ask you a couple questions. Let's say it was today. As you exit this life, how well did you sing this morning? How much heart did you put in your worship this morning? When the songs were sung, were you going, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful? Or you were saying, I sure wish they picked a different lineup. (laughs) How how have you done on building one another up? So this is your last day to do it. This is it. This is like you're going to finish with a bang, right? So this is the last day to serve Christ. How'd you go out? That's how Paul's saying we should be living. There's a day coming, and we don't know when. It could be tomorrow, it could be today. In fact, I love Philip's professor had a sign on his desk. All it said was, perhaps today. Do we live that way? Perhaps today? Because it will change the way you focus. It'll change your attention to things that have eternal value. You don't want to go out just singing the blues, you, you want to go out praising Jesus from the heart, Amen. serving Jesus from the heart. Well, I just want to close with a couple thoughts. We all know, according to this passage, according to verse 15, you're either going to have works that will pass this test, your building will pass the building inspection, or it will be burned up. And it doesn't say you'll be lost. Did you see that? It says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. You know, when this happens, you, ha- you might end up in heaven with empty hands, but you're not lost. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's why we want people to know Christ. First step is know Jesus. This other thing is for believers when they get there because God wants to reward you. He wants to reward me. He wants to reward every one of us who know his son. Well, let me just say this. When we get there, are you gonna be kind of like smelling of smoke? You know, you're going to walk into heaven empty-handed and people are going to go, you smell like an ashtray. What's up? That's what it says. You said, when you're going to show up, you'll smell like fire. I don't want to go into heaven with an aroma, quite frankly. 
I'd rather go in with the aroma of Christ, not the aroma of flames. But this is waiting for all of us, and he's saying, look, I've given you the crib sheet for the test. I want you to pass. I want you to build your life and build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with precious materials because this is what the church needs. This is what will proclaim my name and my glory. This is what will build up one another in the body of Christ. And I just want to say, John said it this way in 1 John 2, let us live so that we shall not be ashamed before him at his coming. Have you ever seen a winning team? Did you ever watch any of the finals of anything go on recently? And the team that wins, they are jumping all over the place. They're patting each other on the back. There's hugs. Men are hugging men and kissing men, and they're looking foolish. They're just having, they look like kids in a candy store. Did you look at the losing side? Do you see any of that going on? Towel over their head. This is what God's saying. I want you to enter heaven like the winning team. I don't want you to enter heaven smelling of smoke, looking like the losing team. This is all up to you and up to me. I've given you everything you need to get gold, to get a reward. Well, I'm going to close with this poem. It's by Martha Snell Nicholson. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way. And I see how I blocked him here. I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. He would have me rich, but I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace while my memory runs like a hunted thing down paths I cannot correct or retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. So Lord, take the years that are left to me. I give them to your hand. Take me, break me, mold me, use me to the pattern you have planned pray that's what you want this morning forget what lies behind I don't care how bad of a builder you've ever been Jesus wants to make you a master builder today that will build on the foundation of Christ to not only build up people but his church on this world until he comes put the past behind commit today be a builder for Jesus Christ Father I thank you I thank you I'm so convicted by this message I'm convicted that many of the things I've done, I know I've done for the wrong reason and there'll be no reward waiting for me. But Father, I'm so thankful that you give me one more day and one more day that I might do it right, that I might please you. And Father, may the bulk of my life be so lived that you would be able to tell not just me, but every person in here who loves your name, well done. I'm so glad you're home. Here's your reward. Enter into the joy of your master. Father, change us. Let us know the time is short. We need to be building carefully. Nobody has the right to build poorly on such a wonderful foundation.
In Jesus' name, amen.